what's up, Liquid Church? Great to see you guys. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to week three of our series, Love, Sex, and Dating. Can we give a big welcome to all our campuses who are joining us? What's up, guys? Great to see you. If you're at church online or Facebook or podcast, however uh, you're with us, man, we're glad you're here. Uh, this series is really striking a chord. Uh, we've had record attendance the last couple of weeks. I think it's for the good-looking pastor. And... Um, <laughs> I've heard from a lot of you actually just questions and conversations among single folks, uh, dating, newly married, longly married, as we've been studying the Song of Solomon. It's this ancient love poem written by a king, a Hebrew king named Solomon. He meets this young peasant girl who he kind of woos and romances. Eventually, they, they, uh, he actually marries her. And uh, last week, we've been seeing how this couple has been building this increasing intimacy Without sex, there's actually been tender words and sharing of feelings. There's been active listening. They're building trust and vulnerability with one another during the dating period. And this is a godly relationship that actually began, watch, from the inside out. In other words, the world starts from the outside. It's like uh, just physical and sex and appearance and stuff, uh, chemistry. But this actually begins at the level of the soul. There's a sharing of kind of spiritual connection between the couple. Then it kind of radiates out to this emotional exchange where they're sharing their feelings and their fears and their dreams with each other. And then it moves to the physical. So today we come to the fun part. We get to peek on on this couple after they're married on their honeymoon night in a message I'm calling, Let's Talk About Sex. Turn to your neighbor and, no, no, just kidding, no, no. <laughs> uh, actually, if, if it's your first time and you're like, what did I just walk into? That's all right. Uh, today, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to give a very candid message about the art of godly lovemaking. And heads up, parents, this message is... PG-13. Uh, that is, if you don't, if you have kids who like aren't emotionally mature enough to handle it, you could take them to liquid kids right now at your campus. But honestly, if they're 13 years or older, you probably want to have them stay. Uh, this may be their first chance to hear very clear, unashamed, unapologetic teaching about God's gift of sex from a biblical perspective. In other words, not what they learn in the locker room, not what they see on Snapchat, okay? Parents, you know your kids best, so use discernment. But we live right now in this kind of, you know, sex-saturated culture where there's a lot of confusion in our world. In fact, what I've noticed when it comes to the topic of sex, there's really three competing views of it in the world. For instance, on the one hand, our culture pretty much claims that sex is God. It's like the ultimate uh, goal and good of life, right? I mean, you just go to the supermarket and the checkout lines, you look at the magazines, it's all about which celebrity is having sex with whom, who's hooking up. Uh, the songs we sing, listen to pretty pornographic lyrics nowadays. Uh, think of the movies, TV shows, Netflix that we watch. It's almost impossible, I'll tell you as a family guy, like the kids, it's almost impossible to find a show without, uh, you know, sex scenes between strangers because that's like, that's the norm. Sex is God. It's something we kind of worship, and we invest a lot of time, energy, and money pursuing it. Uh, for instance, take the pornography industry. It's now a $100 billion a year industry. Put that in perspective, that's more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined, okay? So it's no wonder we, we're seeing this kind of epidemic, right, of sexual assault and violence, because that's how our culture sees it. Sex is a God, and our culture says, indulge it. Without limits, anytime you feel like it with anybody you want, okay, that, that's, that's the one view. Now, watch. On the opposite end of the spectrum uh, is the view that says, no, 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 sex is not God. Sex is gross. Ooh, uh, why are we talking about this? This is a dirty topic. Uh, this is taboo. This is not something you talk about in polite company, certainly at church. Uh, and, and, and listen, the early church leaders saw it kind of this way. Um, sex was something that you avoid talking about, especially in a spiritual setting. Uh, check this out. The early church father, his name was Origen, around 200 AD, and he was so convinced of the evils of sexual desire that he actually took a knife and castrated himself. Yeah, okay, that's, that's like, that's the church's history of sex, okay? Uh, another church leader named Jerome in 350 AD, whenever he felt feelings of like lust, he would throw himself into thorn bushes, okay? So we have some thorn bushes today in the lobby after the service. You can just kind of, you know... I'm serious. In Victoria, historically, the church has been very squeamish about talking about this topic because they're like worried, like maybe it's going to, you know, get, send the wrong message or trigger temptation. Uh, in Victorian times, um, you guys know um, 
you know, you have a dining room table and you have the legs and Victorian legs are these kind of curvy legs. And the church leaders during Victorian times said, you know what? Those legs may make men stumble. It may cause them to lust. And so we need to put cloths over the table. That's where we get tablecloths from. Church, I'm not kidding. That's not a joke. Church leaders said, we got to cover this thing up. So if you, grew in a, uh, if you grew up in a strict or conservative religious background, maybe you relate to this. Uh, church, I grew up in rarely mentioned sex. Uh, I can count like may, one, maybe one or two times I ever heard it in a sermon, and it was a one-word sermon. No! No, 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 okay? Sex was a big no off the table till you got married, and then... Sex was only for, you know, procreative purposes, like making babies, and we don't really talk about it after that, okay? For married couples who did do it, uh, the church's, you know, message was kind of like, you know, endure it, which I think is tragic, because in many ways, the church's silence on this topic has led to a lot of pain, uh, shame, and downright ignorance among a lot of Christians. You know, my wife, Colleen, and I, we actually had a psychology professor uh, at Wheaton College who candidly shared the details about his wedding night with the students in his class, where it was Human Sexuality 101. The professor's name was Dr. Butman. <laughs> True. And Dr. Butman, I'll just leave it at that, and his wife, they married very young, 21, 22. They were in a church that never taught about sex. So they were completely unprepared, very nervous for their wedding night. They, and so what they did is they actually went to a library and checked out medical journals to like read, you know, very dry, you know, what to expect and how to prepare for this for the first time. And so Dr. Butman actually, you know, he's a good, good man. He went out and he, he purchased all these suggested products that the book said would make his, you know, new bride as comfortable as possible on the wedding night. So anyway, they honeymoon in the Adirondacks. And so they have to drive four hours from the wedding. They get there, they're completely exhausted and around midnight, it's completely dark. And uh, they change in the dark and Dr. Butman got all his preparations ready. And he and his young bride, first time, right? They're changing the dark and they're ready to come together and consummate their marriage for the first time. Extremely nervous moment. And as they began the art of, or, or the act of consummating their marriage, uh, Dr. Butman, the way he described it, he said he reached into the drawer of the night table next to the bed where he had placed a variety of, of marital aids, and he grabbed what he thought was a tube of lubricant that would make the night as comfortable as possible for his new bride. He uh, proceeded to apply said contents to his wife, and all was good until about 30 seconds later, she's starting to writhe and like squirm in discomfort, and then she starts going, ah! When he realized something went terribly wrong, he flipped on the lights and he sees the label which says Crest Toothpaste. <laughs> Now with baking soda. True story, right? Sad. Honeymoon nightmare. Uh, needless to say, they did not consummate their marriage that night. Uh, had to wait several days, actually, to give it another shot, this time with the lights on. Um, folks, I believe God does not want his children to be ignorant or uninformed about sexuality. Being silent is never a corrective to a cultural twisting of something. See, the Bible makes clear that sex uh, between a husband and wife within the covenant of marriage, far from being gross, is actually intended to be one of God's greatest gifts to his married children. And that's the biblical view we hold here at Liquid, that sex is actually a gift from God. It is a gift to enjoy, for married couples to celebrate freely. Everybody say freely. freely. Everybody say frequently frequently. Oh, that's the first time some of you ever spoke in church. Some of the men are like, yeah, amen. <laughs> and, and listen, I'm going to be unashamed about this. It's going to be so open today. You're going to be like, wow, why? Because sex is God's idea. God invented this, not just for procreative purposes, not like procreation, but also recreation. It's also intended for pleasure. So this is not dirty or perverse. It is to be prized, protected, cherished, actually celebrated with passion and mutual pleasure between a man and a woman. In fact, the Bible says, listen to this, it says to the culture, it says, you know, sex is not just like a biological thing. It's not even a, a physical act purely, but first and foremost, it's a spiritual symbol of the love Jesus Christ has for the church, his bride. Ephesians 5 puts it this way, Paul, Paul writes, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, so I'm leaving my house, and I'm going to be united to my wife, and the two will become what? What's it say, church? One flesh. Here's the math of sex. This is God's math. One plus one equals one. 
So you've got two separate souls who are coming together physically. They are intertwining their bodies and souls before God, and it makes them one spiritually. That's the power of godly sexuality. Paul writes, this is a profound mystery, <laughs> but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's like, wait a minute, what? I thought we were talking about sex. We are. Paul's saying sex is a spiritual act that when celebrating the safety and sanctity of Christian marriage, it's actually a mirror of God's love for you. Did you know that? Not just that God loves you, but God desires you. He desires me with all the intensity of a, of a, of a groom for his bride on their wedding night. Yeah. And because of that, I would just argue that I think Christ fathers, we should be the most skilled and expert lovers in the world. Neither conforming to our culture, nor acting naive Pollyannas, holy rollers who know nothing of deep, you know, bone-shaking, roof-rattling, God-honoring sex. Amen? So listen to my heart, okay, as the lead pastor. I really believe it's time for us to reclaim this conversation. Amen? I think Jesus' church, we got to lead the conversation about the joys of married sex because we understand the spiritual significance of it. So we're going to dive in today. You guys ready for this? Full throttle. We're going to be uh, uncensored here. It's going to be right out of the Bible. Let's talk about sex. Here we go. Open your Bible to uh, the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. We are going to peek in now on this couple's honeymoon night. We've watched as they have slowly built this intimacy and trust emotionally, spiritually, and now there's going to be the culmination of this. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, the wedding is over. You know, they jump in their, you know, Rolls Royce chariot, and they, they, uh, Solomon takes his young bride in his arms. He kicks open the door of the honeymoon suite at the Sheridan, and, uh, and he walks on in there, puts her down. Man looks at woman, woman looks at man. They're finally alone, and the groom says this to his bride, verse 1, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are what? Are doves. Notice, man, he's looking in her eyes. <laughs> he's not starting down here. He light up here, okay? This is where godly lovemaking begins. Eyes are the window to the soul, and he says, your eyes behind your veil. In other words, this is probably her wedding veil. He says, your eyes are doves. In other words, they're white. They're a symbol of her purity, her virginity, which this couple has mutually safeguarded during their dating relationship. And just time out. I realize that may not be your experience. Uh, I, I'm not naive. I, I understand that probably more than half of you, that's just, that, that wasn't your experience, or maybe it isn't currently, and understand what we're reading. This is God's ideal. This is original intention. And if you have messed up sexually, understand something. With Christ, there is always a second chance. Amen? I'm going to talk about this. But I don't want, don't, just for a minute, check your baggage for a minute, okay? Don't bring like all your guilt and shame and regret and this, just Check your baggage for a minute and track with this. I know this may sound old-fashioned, but there is nothing more sacred than a moment when a couple who have safeguarded their sexual purity finally stand before one another naked and unashamed to make love for the first time. And Solomon, guys, this is, you got to take notes on this. He is a smooth operator. Listen to what he says next to his wife. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. That needs a little translation. I get it, okay? Guys, don't, don't, don't walk on in there tonight. You look like a goat. You know, this is gonna, it'll shut it right down, okay? Listen, in Solomon's world, Jewish women actually wore their hair up, and so she's letting her hair down. In other words, he's beginning to undress his wife, and he would have started by taking off the wedding cap that all Middle Eastern brides wore, and all of a sudden these thick, curly, black locks tumble down her shoulders. And Solomon's like, this reminds me of the, the silky black wool of the goats who, who graze on Mount Gilead. So Solomon's being romantic, you get it? He, he's like, he's, I know it doesn't feel that way to us, but listen, he, he's kind of nuzzling into her hair. He's like whispering. He's like, man, it's like silky black tresses of yours. Man, you look great. Now, how do you think this makes the woman feel? Look at verse two. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. What's the girl doing? She's what? She's, she's smiling. He's like, you got a beautiful smile. He says, your teeth are like, are like the flock of sheep, just come up from the washing. Thank you for brushing your teeth before sex. This is awesome, okay? This is a great thing. 
right? This is men or women. Nobody likes stanky breath, okay? So just couples brush your teeth before sex. It's in the Bible. Uh, okay. <laughs> Solomon says her teeth are, are, are white and clean, and this is funny. He says, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. <laughs> this girl's got all her teeth, you know? <laughs> Such a win in the romance department, let me tell you, by the way. She's smiling. She's sex is fun. Who knew? She's enjoying her husband's verbal compliments and, and his tender words and caresses. Now, guys, what would you do next? Her, your wife's hair is down. She's smiling. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. In other words, he's about to move in for a kiss. Look at you Hebrew scholars. It took you three weeks. You're finally like, I think I know what's going on here, all right? Now, do you know what kind of kiss this is, by the way? There's, there's a clue in verse 11. He says, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. <laughs> what kind of kiss is this? French kiss. Actually, this is... The, France had not been invented yet, okay? <laughs> France was founded 1,800 years after this. This is a biblical kiss right here, okay? That's where you're going to get it. Now, listen, I told you this book is scandalous. It, it is. In Bible times, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read this book until the age of 30. And I, it's true. And I know it may feel awkward, but again, guys, God created sexual desire. He, he brought this husband and wife together, and he says, oh, this is good. No, this is very good, in fact. So understand, our first point, if you're taking notes, godly sex is unashamed. There's actually no reason to be embarrassed. We feel awkward, right, because we're peeking in. But this couple on their wedding night is doing the most natural thing in the world. Solomon is tenderly kissing his bride. Look at her response. See if you can interpret the rest of verse 3. He says, your temples or your cheeks behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. What's she doing? She's what? She's, she's blushing. What, what color is a pomegranate? You ever see it? it right? It's kind of like ruby red. It's kind of reddish pink. In other words, this is a blushing bride, and it's not because she's embarrassed. Her face is flushed by her husband's romantic words. She's starting to tingle under his tender touch. He kisses her on the mouth and keeps moving south. Verse four, <laughs> your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. In other words, she's wearing a necklace, right? Maybe, ne maybe it's a wedding gift. And he compares her neck to the Tower of David in Jerusalem. Let me show you a picture here. Uh, this was the pride of the nation. The Tower of David is an architectural marvel. In other words, He's like, this woman is standing straight and tall, erect before me. She is a confident woman. She's not ashamed. She's not hanging her head in embarrassment. And while she wears this necklace, standing before her husband, she probably wasn't wearing much else. Look at verse 5. <laughs> Your two breasts are like two fawns. Woo! <laughs> like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. <laughs> I was going to let that sit for a minute, all right? You guys know what a fawn is, right? It's a baby deer, right? It's, it are tw there are two of them here, okay? It's twin fawns. <laughs> it's not some big six-point buck walking out. It's this it very small, tender, beautiful pair of baby deer. Can you just say, aw, aw, right? They're so playful. You want to pet them and <laughs> perky. And just... You get the idea? The husband and wife are naked in the garden. They experience absolutely no shame. He's like, I love what I'm seeing. And, he's like, and she's like, come browse among the lilies, my young stag, right? Guys, this is a picture a beautiful picture of unashamed, godly sexuality in its divine setting. It is a picture of tenderness. It is vulnerable. There is nothing obscene. 
There is nothing embarrassing about it. It's beautiful. In fact, it is ex- this is exactly as God originally imagined sex. If you open up in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, when he brings Adam and Eve and places the first man and woman in the, in, in the garden, it, Genesis 2 says this, the man and his wife were both what? Naked and were not? So shame was not part of the equation at this point, Right? Can you imagine like our whole world? That's the broken world. We attach all these false feelings of shame and guilt and regret and all that stuff. That's not here yet. This is one of the blessings, guys, of sex within the marriage covenant. You don't get all the extra baggage. All that false feelings of, uh, of guilt, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or shame, like I can't believe what he made me do, or, or am I making a mistake where I'm going to regret this in two weeks when, when she ghosts me? Solomon's a man with a plan. He has stewarded this woman with integrity through their dating, through their courtship, through their engagement, and now to their honeymoon. He he wasn't trying to lead her on. He was trying to lead her towards marriage. And now he has a game plan for how he's going to make love to her. Just look at verses 1 through 5. Do you notice something here? Where does he go? Eyes, hair, teeth, lips, cheeks, neck, breast. He starts at the top and he works his way down. This guy knows what he, all right, amen. I got an amen over there. (laughs) This guy knew what he was doing, which guys, I believe is one of the reasons why the Lord chose to spotlight their relationship in the middle of his word and give a full on, full chapter to this beautiful picture of married sex. This right now is what we're reading is a picture of slow and tender foreplay. I just said foreplay in church. I'm just gonna... (laughs) And you'll notice, notice something. While there's physical touch involved, notice how Solomon emphasizes the emotional embrace of his young wife. This is the wisest man in history. And Solomon knew a second secret if you're taking notes. Godly sex is not just unashamed. Godly sex begins way before the bedroom. I'm going to ask you a little, I'm going to give you all sorts of tips today, okay? Especially guys, listen to this. Guys, do you know what is, for a woman, what is the most sensitive sexual organ for a woman? I asked Colleen. I know the answer to this, all right? I asked my wife this, this weekend, right? If you had to point to it, don't point to it. If you had to point to it, <laughs> what is the most sensitive sexual organ? Are you ready? One, two, three. Her mind. Her mind, guys. This is so important for us to understand. Solomon's sweet words are all about creating this atmosphere of emotional safety in which his wife feels cherished, protected, and actually free to unfold like the flower that she is. Look at his technique just to lower her inhibitions. He doesn't use alcohol. (laughs) He's not like, have a third glass of wine, sweetheart. He uses his verbal words and praises to make her, he praises her beauty, he makes her verbal caresses to make her feel safe, and when he touches her, he does it very tenderly, right? I mean, we don't have to be embarrassed, right? He says, your breasts are like twin fawns. How, how do you approach baby deer? Like, if you saw a twin fawns, right, you'd be very, you'd very quiet, you'd be very gentle about it. You don't come, like, barreling out of the bathroom, like, I waited 20 years for this, honka, honka, you know, kind of. <laughs> look, I'm just speaking the truth here. I'm telling you, this is a mistake that many newlyweds make. There's an excellent book I can recommend to you. It's called Sheet Music, uh, Uncovering the Secrets of Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. It's written by Dr. Kevin Lehman. He's a Christian psychologist and marriage counselor. And Colleen and I have read this together, and he writes this. He says, when it comes to sex on the honeymoon, I like to talk about sex ASAP. Most men think ASAP means as soon as possible. But in this case, it means sex as slow as possible. I tell men to go three times slower and 10 times more gently than they think they need to. You've waited this long, I say, so another 30 minutes set the scene ain't gonna kill you. (laughs) I think this is a great piece of advice, uh, not just for newlyweds, but for men who have been married for decades, okay? Husband, your wife needs time and sensitivity to warm up sexually. See, here's the truth. Men and women are not wired the same sexually. God rigged it, okay? I'm just telling you. It's, 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 you guys know this. This is totally true. In fact, I came across a great photo that shows the difference between how men and women are wired sexually. I want to put this up on the big screen for you. Take a look at this. Right? If you're listening on podcasts, 
the control panel labeled men as one switch, right? There's off and on. The one labeled woman looks like the dashboard of the space shuttle, right? It's got every conceivable knob and pressure gauge and button and dial. In other words, it's complex. And I think that captures the reality that God designed women to just be a bit more sophisticated creatures than men in this department. Come back to me here. Listen, listen, listen to this. Let's be honest. Mo like, I'm just going to tell you the truth, all right? Women, cover your ears. Most men are just up for having sex pretty much anytime, anywhere, any form, and we're just happy about that. That, that would be like... It does not take much. That's just in our flesh, okay? That's the kind of the fleshly part of men. If we're grocery shopping and we're in the produce section, we're like, oh, pomegranates, flip the switch, <laughs> ready. You know what that reminded me of? You know, like seven seconds, we're ready to go. Think of, it, think of it this way. No, I'm not trying to be crude. Listen, men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, men, ding, 15 seconds, ready. Crockpots, well, they take time. They take time to heat up. They take time to actually simmer for a while. Guys, married men, your wife needs time. She needs tenderness. She needs your emotional reassurances to be ready for physical intimacy. If, if sex is not linked to emotional closeness, to kindness, to gentleness, to a servant's heart, it is very difficult for women to fully enjoy it. And that's why godly sex always begins way before the bedroom. I remember one time in our small group, we were, we were kind of talking candidly about this. Uh, it was married couples, and we were all pretty close friends, so we just talked openly about stuff like this. And one of the wives said, she goes, oh, let me tell you something. You know what my husband does that's a real turn on? And we're like, I want to hear this. And she's like, the sexiest thing my husband ever does is, and we're like, what is it? She's like, when he cleans out the garage, <laughs> so hot. And all the other women were like, yeah, 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 same, same, same. When, when my husband gives our little ones a bath at night, he actually gets them ready for bed. Ooh, major turn on. And we're kind of scratching our heads, and, and the other one's like, no, my husband on weekends, he sometimes will take, he'll vacuum out my car, he'll fill it with gas for the week. Oh, it is so sexy when he does that. And like literally all of us guys are like kind of sitting here, and we're kind of like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like we all, like I thought it was when we got out of the shower and went like this, oh yeah, come on. <laughs> Look at this action, right? <laughs> Not so much. They're like, no, they're like, it's when you're serving. It's when you're caring. It's when you're doing non-sexual things that are just thoughtful, that you're ministering to us. Who knew? Take it from Solomon. Godly lovemaking begins way before the bedroom, guys. It may, it may, it may start when you text her for no reason at all in the middle of the day. I'm just thinking about you. Miss, missing you, sweetheart. No reason at all. You're building her up. You're letting her know she's on your mind even when she's out of your sight. You know, in his classic book, Intended for Pleasure, Sex Technique, and Christian Marriage, Dr. Ed Wheat writes this. He says, husband, be aware that your wife views a sex act as part of her total relationship with you, even though you, like other men, may think of it separately. That was a big wake-up call for me early on. <laughs> uh, when we got married, I assumed my wife, we were just wired the same and, you know, Candy store is going to be open now 24-7, you know? Morning sex, nooner sex, evening sex, you know? And when that didn't happen, <laughs> I rudely began to realize that my wife's physical receptivity was directly tied to her sense of emotional intimacy, closeness that we shared. And honestly, I felt tricked. I, I, she's, you know, I, she's like, I just, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like we're connected. I'm like, what do you mean we're not connected? That's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to connect. This is what this is, you know? But listen to me, listen, I'm going to tell you, I've learned, I learned my lesson. I really did. It came right out of here, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I'm going to let you in. Do you want to know what the number one aphrodisiac is in the Lucas home? It is a little item of clothing that I put on if I want to get my wife in the mood. If I want to turn my wife on, I just slip into... <laughs> rubber kitchen gloves, baby! I'm going to do some dishes. And let me tell you something. This thing, this is, what did you think I was going to pull out? A leopard thong? This is church, people. Sex begins in the kitchen in our house with a snap of the rubber glove. Let me do some dishes. This is a huge, huge turn on in my wife, Colleen. Uh, I actually, it's very kind of funny. It came out of a hurtful place in our marriage. 
early on, we would get in these fights because she's like, you know, I'm at work and I come home and the whole house is destroyed. There's dishes in the sink. And honestly, I didn't think it was a big deal. And I didn't really actually care. I thought she, my wife was overreacting. But I had a buddy, who a Christian guy who was married five years. And after one of our fights, I'm like, she's crazy about this, you know. And he pulled me aside one day and he's like, Tim, you got to understand the kitchen is way more than just a place to cook. That room is a reflection of your wife's competency as a homemaker. She's brand new to this thing, and she just wants a clean and orderly home for her family and guests to enjoy. And what I learned is my wife's primary love language was acts of service. And he's like, so listen to him, when you, what if you actually don't fight on it, and you actually take the initiative, and you go, put on your gloves, and you go load the dishwasher, and you, you know, hose off the coffee mugs, you actually put them back in the closet, and I'm like, oh, help me, Jesus, you know, I don't know. And, and, and you empty the recycling without being told, because here's the thing, Tim, it's like telling her that you love her, you respect her as a mother, as a lover, as a woman, as a friend, and you care for her as queen of your home. I was like, are you serious? He's like, try it. So I, I listen, I was like, hey, I'll try anything at this point, three years into marriage, I'm like, this has got to get better. And so I, you know, I get in there and I start, you know, I put on the gloves and I start hosing off the, the dish all of a sudden I feel this hot breath in my ear. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Sex in our house begins in the kitchen, people, okay? As for me and my house, we will wear yellow rubber gloves. That's just how we're going to do it. It begins before the bedroom. Husbands, let me ask. Do you know where sex with your wife begins? Do you know what her primary love language is? Is it acts of service? Is it quality time? For me, it's words of affirmation, like a lot of guys, physical touch. Do you know the words and actions that demonstrate your intent to serve her selflessly like Christ? See, guys, this, this is the very unsexy starting point for a sizzling romantic life. It's not manipulation. Oh, how do I get my, my, my partner to do this? It is the culmination of your total relationship, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Solomon speaks the love language of his young bride, and uh, she was his partner, not his plaything. With words and acts of love, he creates this kind of electric atmosphere for the consummation of their marriage, which happens in verse 6. This is very natural. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of what? Myrrh and to the hill of? So they're wearing perfume. The smells good. Do you remember the Twin Peaks from last week? The mountain of myrrh, hill of incense. These are literally translated to the Twin Peaks. And Solomon's like, that is where I am going. And the Bible says their passion lasted until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Translation, you shook me all night long. First ACDC right there, verse 6. Uh, now, hashtag, that's in the Bible, people. Both man and woman, they enjoy the pleasures of married lovemaking, unashamed, completely vulnerable, sharing this mutual exchange of pleasure. And guys, that's how God designed it, not just on the honeymoon. If you've been married 5, 10, 15 years, I get it. Romance, guys, it's meant to actually deepen and grow as the marriage matures. Our, our physical intimacy now, I'm not going to get into details, Oh my gosh, a thousand times better than the first three years. Your marriage is not supposed to go flat like a can of Diet Coke. You're like, <laughs> and you got to intentionally set the scene like Solomon. So if you're married, I'm going to give you your homework right now. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. I want you this month, I want you to get a babysitter. You go out and you have a nice dinner. You say, oh, yeah, all that sex talk, what do you think about that? You know, what's your primary language? You book a hotel. You put, and then you go to that hotel room and you put on some worship music. Oh! You light a candle, a little Yankee candle there. Maybe a little bubble bath. That, okay, that's great. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Marvin Gaye there. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. Be creative and have fun. In verse 12, Solomon describes his wife this way. This is so important. He says, you, lady, are a garden locked up. My sister, my bride, you are a spring enclosed. You are a sealed fountain. Solomon is praising his wife's purity here. He's like, you are a garden locked up. Other men haven't gotten inside. He's like, you are a virgin. I'm dead serious. 
In the Middle East, guys, gardens were places of great beauty. They were highly prized because it's a desert climate, and so a place that flourished with greenery and wildflowers. It was this place of rest. It was an oasis in the desert. It was a refreshing place. And gardens in uh, Solomon's time were actually sealed off, typically, by garden gates or even by brick walls. Only the owner could actually get into it. And so Solomon's basically like, I am the rightful owner of this garden before God. And at the marriage altar, God gives the husband and the wife the key to the garden. And he says, I want you to enter it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to explore it and have fun. Look at the variety in their marriage garden. This is so fun. He says, uh, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, every kind of incense, with myrrh and aloes, all the finest spices. In other words, variety is the spice of godly lovemaking. You got to have variety. This guy's got nard and cinnamon. This lady like lit an essential oils diffuser. She's like, you know, stuff starts coming out. We got like aromatherapy. We got myrrhs. We got aloes. We got lotions. We got lubricants. I'm going to leave it at that. The point is, in that garden, when the door closes, it's anything goes before the man and the woman and their God that doesn't make either of them feel belittled, manipulated, demeaned in any way. The Bible encourages creativity and sensuousness in marriage. Ladies, men are visually hardwired, and we are energized by what we see, smell, taste, and touch. And I get it, right? If you're married for a few years, a lot of couples forget that, both men and women, right? We kind of get in a rut, right? We come to bed, you know, in our uh, old college sweatshirt. Here I am, holes in the armpits, you know. <laughs> Wives, when you get married, that MRS before your name doesn't mean Miss Rummage Sale, okay? I'm just saying. Guys, you walk in, you're like, yeah, boxer shorts, you know, with the crotch blown out, you know, like <laughs> my lacrosse, they were great in college, you know. Satin is always more spiritual than flannel, let me tell you this, okay? Couples, you need to get creative. You need to have variety. You need to make your bedroom a garden oasis. So you got to welcome that stuff in, and you, except for pornography. I'm going to touch on this next week. You've got to cultivate a secret garden where there is purity, but there's also freedom. And it makes it feel safe for the two of you to explore together. Variety is the spice of life. God never intended marriages to go flat or your sex life to lapse into a dull routine. I want you to think about this. When God wrote a book in his Bible about this topic, did he write a instructional manual? Is this a biology textbook? It's poetry. In other words, godly lovemaking is a creative art. It's not a mechanical science. And that means it should never become mechanical or routine. You know, it's funny. My parents, we didn't talk about it again much in my, my family. You, that's probably why I, I like talking about it <laughs> now, so, just to make you feel awkward. Um, but I remember when I was in high school uh, and still living at home, I remember my parents periodically would go away for a weekend every now and then. And what was strange is I couldn't understand it because they only went two towns over to the Marriott. And I'm like, what? like why wouldn't you just stay at home? I could never figure out why they go to the Marriott. You know, Duh! When you got kids who are like, mom, and kicking in the garden door and coming over the walls and trampling on the flowers, you gotta take the garden on the road sometimes, people. <laughs> You got to carve out time for a little retreat. Go to Peddler's Village. I don't care what you do, but you got to do something to keep it interesting, to keep it uh, connected and out of the routine. In fact, let me just address that because a lot of you are like Colleen and I. We have two jobs. We have two kids, and we live crazy busy lives. It may be that the most godly thing you can do is to actually schedule regular sex. I realize that doesn't sound romantic, right? Like, like regularly scheduling sex, that is a huge source of security a lot of times in a marriage, especially for men, because it doesn't kind of keep us guessing uh, and gives us something to look forward to. So putting sex on your calendar could actually be, I mean, it's, 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 it can be a blessing. It's like, ooh, Sunday, Sunday is fun day, right? <laughs> Monday morning madness, you know? Thirsty Thursday, freaky Friday, I'll keep going, guys. You, I, you gotta talk about it. You got to talk about it and ask your spouse, what does she need? What does he need? Because listen, you got a big job. You are the only legitimate person in the world to fulfill their sexual needs. I want you to think about that. This, guys, is how you build trust and security in the marriage. Because understand, godly sex is built on absolute foundation of trust. Everyone say trust. Trust. You are the only legitimate way before God for your spouse to find sexual fulfillment in a world that is drowning in sensuality. And he or she needs to know they can be 100% vulnerable with you about that. 
and trust that actually you will do your best. You're not perfect, but do your best to meet needs. Verse 7 ends with these words. I love this. It's just so beautiful. Solomon says to his wife, he says, All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Think about that. Remember when we first met this woman? She's insecure about her appearance. She's like, don't look at me. My skin is too dark. And right now she's standing as a wife before her husband, who's a king. How much more vulnerable do you think she feels at this moment? And Solomon says, I look at you. There is no flaw in you. He speaks loving words of reassurance to the most sensitive place in her heart. Married folks, listen up. Never, 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 ever, ever, never make a negative comment about your spouse's body. That goes for both men and women. I mean, just be, je- just be gracious to each other. Just understand something. If you get married in your 20s, that's like the high point of your physicality, okay? <laughs> like, bodies don't get much better after that, okay? It's mostly downhill from there. The twin fawns. Become the Twin Falls, okay? I'm just saying. Let me just... Man, listen. No, I'm serious. Guys, your wife, she's got, she's got to have stretch marks and baby weight and all that stuff, and she needs the reassurance to know that you still find her attractive. Amen? You got to tell her. There's no flaw in you. I don't see you like that. You're amazing. You're a wonder woman. And he needs to hear, well, you are Mr. Incredible. I, because, men, we get insecure as we age, Right? Start losing our hair or gaining weight, right? Love handles, oh, dad bod, all that. You say, not in my eyes. You are Mr. Perfect. Listen, wives, he wants you to want him, not out of duty, but out of desire. He needs to know you still find him sexually desirable. He may have lost his hair. He's bald. And you just say, no, 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 no. That bald spot, uh uh-uh. That is a solar panel for a... That is a solar panel for a sex machine, right? <laughs> that's not in the Bible. That's just, uh, that's just free. <laughs> Here's the deal. The older we get, guys, the more emotional sex actually becomes, whether you receive or you reject. So listen, both of you, men and women, never withdraw or punish your spouse by withholding sex. Never. Remember, lack of physical intimacy to him, feels as deadly and dangerous as sudden silence feels to you. I'm just not talking anymore. If you're in a marriage and you're struggling in this area, you're struggling sexually, you're struggling in these intimate ways, there are probably deeper issues underneath. You may need to pursue counseling. Understand, though, there's hope. There's hope because with Christ, you can always work on the things on the inside. He can heal those things and give you hope, and you can build each other up. Give yourself freely to the other needs. Sometimes one spouse may have a greater sexual desire than the other. Often the man, sometimes the woman. Remember, you are the only one with the power to meet their sexual need in a legitimate way. And Solomon says, oh, beautiful you are, my darling. There ain't no flaw in you. You are the portrait of perfection in my eyes. So here's something I want to, a lie I want to kick over here and dispel in church. I hate when I hear well, you know, that's, I'm not really into that look. You know, I wish he was a little bit or, or she was. You know, I really like prefer brunettes. Uh-uh-uh. Once you get married, your spouse is now your new standard of beauty. That's what you're into. That's what's beautiful now. If you're married to a tall woman, guess what? You're into tall women. <laughs> if you married a brunette, you now love brunettes. If she's petite, yay, fun size, all right? <laughs> if, she's, if she's voluptuous, great, more to love, Okay. I'm telling you, both ways. Whatever your spouse looks like, that is your standard of beauty. And you need to praise them regularly like Solomon does. He sees her as a perfect gift from a perfect God. And he says, when I see your face, you know that song? There's not a thing that I would change. I need help here. Jermaine, help me out. Because you're amazing the way you are. Woo! Amen. Oh, look at us. Little, oh, (laughs) we got Chris Tomlin, we got Marvin Gaye, we got Bruno Mars. That's amazing. All good worship leaders. Uh, And guys, understand, godly sex is not just built on absolute trust. Last point. It is holy when it's done God's way. You know what the word holy means? Sounds like a religious term. Holy literally means to be set apart and to be different. 
It means to be pure in a different way than the rest of the common world is. And sex within the marriage covenant is holy. It is pure in God's sight. It is righteous because it's a mirror of the way Jesus Christ loves you. Remember in Ephesians, Paul says, for this reason a man will leave father and mother, united to his wife, the two become one flesh, and this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church. Scripture says that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church, that's us, we're his bride. And the truth is, every one of us is going to get married someday. Revelation 22 ends with a wedding, us getting married to Jesus on the altar of heaven. And so let me tell you what's going to happen on your wedding day. On each of our wedding day, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to see his holiness, which is his white-hot purity and moral perfection. And all of a sudden, we're going to become painfully aware of all of our flaws, all of our failures, all of our sin, and feel like, oh, don't look at me. You're going to judge me. And God is going to look us up and down and then look over at our husband, Jesus. And he's going to say, because who you're married to, I see no flaw in you. You are perfect in my sight. You are sinless in my eyes because the power of your husband has transformed you. When Jesus laid his life down on the cross, it was our groom saying, till death do us part, baby. And when you accept him as your savior, you become one flesh with Jesus. You don't make yourself holy. If you made mistakes, you don't like, I'm gonna change it, now I'm gonna be holy. Christ makes you holy. When you become one with him, his blood washes away your sins. He alone can present you faultless without stain before God's throne like you never sinned as a, as a bride prepared for a husband. That's how the Bible describes your wedding day in heaven. I want to end with this. Paul commands husbands. He says, this is so beautiful. Look at this. He says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by what? Giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. Amen? Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a holy picture of love and sex. You know, if you say you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, it means you follow your leader in every area of life, including the bedroom. Sex is not just a physical act. It is a spiritual mirror of God's love for you. That's why he created it this way. It's how he designed it to work, and that's why Scripture celebrates it as a gift intended for pleasure, to reflect holiness and bring glory to God. Amen? Now listen, I'm going to pray for us. I just want to acknowledge right now there's probably some emotions in the room, right? Because you bring up this topic, and it's close to people's heart. So let me speak to a couple people, okay? First off, if you are a teen or you're a student, if you're staying with your parents, I apologize. Awkward, <laughs> okay? Just like, acknowledge that. If you're a young adult or you're, or you're in school, let me just acknowledge something. I understand. I get it. You feel pressured at school, and sex is constantly in your face. It is coming at you from every side. But can I just say to you as your pastor, it is totally worth waiting for. You've you got a choice. Your sex life can start in the backseat of your boyfriend's car, right? A party in your girlfriend's basement. And here's what you get to take with you as a parting gift. Feelings of shame, feelings of guilt, I should have done that. Regret, contempt when he or she ghosts you. But I'm here to tell you, God has a different plan for your life. He is giving you a good and perfect gift, but he wants you to wait until the safety of marriage with your husband or your wife where there's no worries about whether or not they're going to be there or say hi to you next week. And if you wait for marriage, I just get it. You may feel like you're missing out because all your friends are doing it. But let me tell you what you're missing out on. You're missing out on STDs. You're missing out on abortions. You're missing out on slut shaming. You're missing out on regrets. And as your pastor, I just want to encourage you, trust God and wait for marriage to be sexually active. You may be... I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Listen to me. You may, be, you may suffer a little bit. You're going to be called weird. You're going to be called a prude or worse. But here's what God will call you. Holy. Holy in my sight. And it's worth it. You sow to the Spirit. You reap a righteous marriage. Now, I understand there's, there's some of you right now, maybe you're an adult and you're feeling guilt or, or regret like, man, 
we didn't do things like this. We, 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 didn't, we didn't wait. And I made mistakes in college, or I was just openly, you know, sexually active. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm sexually active right now, and I'm not married. Or maybe you gave your virginity away, or was taken away by some monster. And you think, I'm not holy. I'm not flawless. I, I'm pretty broken in this area. Listen. I believe God brought you today because his spirit's speaking to you. And he's gently and lovingly convicting you of that right now. Guys, this is the reason Jesus Christ came to earth. To find you, forgive you, cleanse your heart, and make you brand new on the inside. No matter how much you've screwed up, you can always have a second chance spiritually with Christ. You simply have to ask, Lord, I receive your love and I forgive me. Forgive me and cleanse me and make me new. I want to honor you with my body. You can become a born-again virgin. From this moment on, you can walk out of here and say, God, I've been making sex my God, but I realize I need something better. I need Christ. And today I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my body. I want to honor you. So in a minute, you're going to leave here and you've got a choice. You can blend in with the culture or you can be set apart by God and made holy. Maybe you've realized you've been trusting sex as your God and it hasn't gone well and you really need Christ. He can make you holy, not yourself, but you've got to ask him for it. So would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you a chance to talk to God in the privacy right now. Of Just your seat, you're at your campus, it's just you and God. My voice is going to disappear. Father, we're opening our hearts to you right now. Your word has stirred up the soil and the word of God has now been planted there. And Lord, I'm the first just to confess, Lord, I have fallen short of your standards of perfection and purity when it comes to sex. Every one of us here has. But Father, I thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins to you. Just take a moment, pray to the Lord. Tell him what he already knows. Father, we confess these things to you and we come to you for cleansing. I pray right now for women here who have wounds and have hurts in their hearts. Things have been done. They have done things, Father, that they've locked away with a tight key. Father God, we give you the key. We open it up and we say, come inside, Jesus. Cleanse us. Not just forgive, heal the deep wounds from the inside out. Father God, I pray right now for men who we have not stood up at times as men. We've acted like greedy boys. And Father, we ask your forgiveness, Lord, for our lust, for our pornography, for all the things, God, that we just pollute the garden with. Forgive us, Lord. We don't pledge to do better. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need the strength of Christ in us, Father, to live a faithful life, God, in this world that is drowning right now in sexual obsession. Father, I pray that this church, we are not perfect, but God, would you present us now holy and faultless through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that great hope. We thank you for your love unto death, and we receive you as our groom. Make us a flawless bride in your eyes. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. amen. Can we thank God for his word and for people who are recommitting their life, their bodies to Christ? Awesome.